2: The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA Ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com
3: I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here.
0: Both parents have, have spoken with really to her. And... Uh, and um, they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back their county jerseys. But these
3: fellas,
1: he get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we'd put him back in their houses for ten years.
2: Philly, 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 Philly McMahon. So Philly has been in the media this week. He was at a launch of something, and he came out with a real a real classic. Um, let's be honest Connor and Conan are here with me in studio he says so he's talking about a, a lot of complaining everyone's complaining they're complaining about Dublin and uh, money and uh, Croke Park and all these kind of things so he says so what we're saying is right we have a success we have a team that's successful let's complain let's complain about the rules let's complain about the money let's complain about the population instead of saying let's actually beat them when they have all that that needs to be the message It's unbelievable that. So he's accepting (laughs) we have all that. We have the advantage of Croker. We have the advantage of population, which nobody complains about because that's their look. Well, people who want to see it split uh, might be complaining about it. The funding, all those things. And he's saying, instead of saying, let's actually beat them when they have all that. (laughs) So like, don't complain. We have all those advantages. And the only answer that you have to give us is to try and beat us with all that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> crazy stuff here I think the worst thing about it is that he preceded that comment to say that I understand where they're coming from so if you hear I understand where they're coming from you might expect him to delve into it and say yeah I can I can understand that the, we play two games in quote-back we play our league games in quote-back but he just disregards it and he feeds into this this anti-Dublin mentality we've talked about yeah. not in the show that has little or no basis in fact but the fact that somebody as high profile as Philly McMahon will only give them that anti the people who kind of peddle that anti-Dublin mentality just you more ammunition to keep on doing it you know it's just it's very dis- like whatever about hearing it from a kind of a, a large proportion of fans whatever it's very disappointing to hear a high, such a high profile player as Philly just come out and say like so publicly because it's 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 clear that it's just it's not about all that it's about about providing fairness and integrity to the competition.
2: Yeah, I wish they could just I wish they just admit that and yeah. go look at this stage we'd prefer just to play in Parnell Park and stop, you know, taking away yeah. from our brilliant team and success which it is and it's not their fault I don't shouldn't even have to qualify it by saying that and but saying Let's, sh- let's stop complaining and let's beat them when they have all that
1: that's definitely not helping anything Philly mm, so, somewhere Sean Kelly is pointing his fist against the <laughs> desk and saying yeah he's right let's go up to crew park and beat them well that's, <laughs> it. Stevie, that's <laughs> it that's right. it the crew park one is stupid like we shouldn't even talk about it like you know why? like that is it's anti-31 counties they say like no we should play two games of crew park and separates, and everybody else should play one yeah. you know that's that's just ridiculous but um just accept that the accept population it. one is an interesting one like the money's obviously unfair as well but then the population one does interest me because, like, we you talked about Port Leach before, and yeah. my, my club back home is a city club, so you have more population. And Dublin have always had the population, so that's, yeah, that's more of a the money and Croke Park are the more obvious things.
2: The population, like, I mean, w- increased population means huge distractions with rugby mm. in South Dublin, mm. with soccer in North Dublin, m- huge competition, hu- loads of stuff to do. So when you're a teenager, you might not feel like going down to yeah. the local G, you feel like a village team would. All that stuff does. So population, is like that can be a hindrance yeah. as well, yeah. you know, and you can't get that community spirit going. It's really difficult. I've no problem with the population. Mm. I have a huge problem with the other two things and like I mean to say that we can't complain about this mm. just let's just ha- all have <laughs> the attitude well, leash let's just go out and beat these <laughs> like, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, wish, I wish life was so simple Philly I wish life was so simple because the classic thing because Brian Howard was also in the media um, yeah. this week and this is just absolutely brilliant coming on the back of what Philly says and like the, the argument about the Croke Park and everything so Brian Howard Mm-hmm. talking about his first league game. So he says, my first league start was against Kildare. Um, and I was obviously nervous in Croke Park for my first proper game starting there. But from there on, my confidence built, built and I learned by picking up tricks from little tricks from the other lads. There you go. <laughs> yeah. All that nervous check. energy, all that, yeah. uh, oh God, it's Croke Park, all that shitting yourself happened for him in a league game in February. He continued on and played four more league games there. By the time the Championship uh, landed around, after picking up little tricks from his other buddies and getting his routine down to a tee and understanding the ground, suddenly then Championship, this lad, it's like a, it's, it, that, those nerves are gone. Then you look at Galloway coming to play them in an all in semi-final with all their players after playing one game in a league final there and you're telling me that that's not an advantage. Like, and that's Brian Howard after playing... Leinster semi-final Leinster final two super eights he was rested for yeah. one of the Roscommon games. three more games on the back of four so he's play. Who would he be marking? He'd be marking uh, Someone from Galway, A wing back Johnny Heaney Johnny Heaney mm. for example Like Johnny Heaney Would have played there before But sporadically mm. Sure Brian Howard's just Like like that
1: quote alone Is proving <laughs> yeah. the prosecution's case Yeah he's in his second season And he sounds like a veteran Of Coop Park already Like you know yeah. When you compare that to Leitrim Who were going there 13 years later After last being there But like You were talking about Hill 16 before as well, weren't you? About shooting into the goals yeah. of Hill 16 and how it's tougher. Like, yeah. This is a thing you get used to when you're playing there every week. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's a, a room massive room.
2: difference in kicking into Hill 16 and there's a massive difference kicking into Hill 16 with people, with a big yeah. crowd there yeah. and with no crowd there. And there's a big difference kicking into the canal end because the, t- the, cr- the stand goes around. I don't know what it is, it's just your range. Like yeah. It's obviously the same distance, but then the wind qu- coming in over the hill... Like I mean it is harder to kick long longer range points into the hill, I would say, and yeah. it 's even just the the because i 've played in Crow Park where Hill would be empty. And it's just the white terracing behind yeah. it. It just yeah. distorts yeah. The,
0: your distance. But it just rubbishes the argument. I've heard it. I've heard it said a, a few places that like, oh, people go on about the advantage that you know uh, Dublin getting in Crow Park, whereas there's loads of pitches around the country with the exact same dimensions as Crow Park, thinking that it's just the size ah, of the yeah. pitch that matters. Whereas it's completely, it's absolutely different. It's nonsense. It's the whole. It's the whole experience of Crow mm-hmm. Park because Crow Park is such a big deal
2: um, to play there. Good news for Dublin is that Rory O'Carroll is home so the Irish Times have this one Um, so he's won three All-Irelands his last one was in 2015 Um, he's only 29 so like I mean what I was reading like it's it seems unlikely that he'll be back in at this stage of his career with Dublin why 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 on earth now I know Dublin have won all Irelands without him I know they've won all Irelands without Jack McCaffrey who's player of the year Rory O'Carroll's out of the game for three years he's playing a little bit over New Zealand very low standard why on earth can't Rory O'Carroll get back in there like I mean when you see how Tommy Walsh is ripping it up After playing in Australian rules for so long Just gets a bit of match practice Let's be honest lads Full backs are spoilers You're not talking about needing to kick a ball over the bar From 45 metres out Get your kicking technique Mm. You can get through a game of full back in the modern game By just actually spoiling your man And hand passing it off when you get it Rory O'Carroll Especially when you see Tommy Walsh uh, Cleaning up now right You have uh, Clifford to come back Dublin are not blessed with big strong tall men In their
0: full back line I'd be on to Rory Carroll. Like, I think it's yeah. apt-
2: You're going for five in a row
0: here. Yeah. I I think, I think it's unlikely just kind of based on... Like, I, I don't know Rory Carroll. Rory Car- I don't profess to know him, but just based on his kind of career history. So, you know, he's gone off studying for a couple of years. And then, like, after being part of a successful All-Ireland winning team that was obviously going to go on and win more All-Irelands, he was comfortable just heading off to New Zealand. And it wasn't that he was back in a year and ready to come back to Dublin. He's gone for three years. He's 29 now. Maybe he's satisfied with the all Ireland oh, yeah. has got. You know, that, that, no, that's, why that's I different it yeah,
2: We don't yeah. know that. Like that's Rory Carroll's decision. Yeah. I'm saying from Jim Gavin's point oh, yeah. of view, like if he's playing with his club, I'd absolutely be going after him. Like I'd imagine Jim Gavin would be doing that. There wouldn't be yeah. any reason to say why why he wouldn't. Obviously, unless Rory, because Rory is a hurler as well, so mm. he might say, "I've got three, maybe three years left. I might play with the hurlers for that." Or else he might say, "I'm happy playing club." I've yeah. d- d- that competitive edge has gone from me now mm. after the three years playing crappy football in New Zealand, and now I don't need- I don't need. Need that level of commitment?
1: Yeah, the, the the Jim Gavin thing is interesting because what Jim Gavin has done best over the last few years is got his matchups perfect. So we might not need Ruru Carroll for every game. It just might be if Tommy Walsh is playing for Kerry or like Jim Gavin always targets players and yeah, spoils yeah. them. And like they don't have anybody like Ruru Carroll in the squad. Like I don't think so. He's like, like, and he's so clean. Like he's just the, the cleanest fullback that's been around. You know the way he catches I, the ball. Oh, and, oh yeah, but he oh, does yeah. a lot of paw- pawing and pulling and oh yeah. It. Sorry, I <laughs> he's outrageous him. for that actually. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Skills like he's kicking, he's catching, it's all just very crisp and clean. Yeah, and you know, I remember he was marking Kieran Donaghy in the league final the year he went, the year after he went, or the year before he went. He, um he just destroyed him Kerry kept bombing balls down the top and he was just holding off Donaghy and either palming it down
2: yeah. and catching it himself. So he's handled Donaghy before he's proved he can do that so now you have Tommy Walsh to worry about you have Griffin to worry about and I don't think Davy Byrne's not that type of player he's, he's a decent sized fella mm. Philly McMahon we know can spoil one but who's going to spoil the other they might need to move Keena Sullivan back in James McCarthy back in they don't really want to mess up their team that much mm. James McCarty's such a driving force if James McCarty in the All-Ireland against Mayo went back into the full back line Who's to say they would have, like, another? You don't want to start thinking don't be about this. Me <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, uh, Jesus, I'd be Rory O'Carroll, get back in here. I don't believe the, uh, the thing of you've missed, you've been out of the game. F- at the highest level for three years that's you gone yeah. that's nonsense
0: yeah it, it would take him a while I mean he's been gone for three years but like he was always like Jan, Johnny McGee remember saying that he, he he's in pretty good shape but uh, but just to, like you're kind of on about getting Rory O'Carroll for horses for horses mm. for courses kind of thing with like to, to mark maybe Tommy Welsh. from what I remember Rory O'Carroll was comfortable in American all like wh- whatever <laughs> way oh you he know, can all, yeah all sorts of words yeah. but it didn't necessarily have to be a, a Tommy Welsh for it. like he was comfortable he was probably more comfortable than other members of the Dublin full back line of them. But you you stick a small nippy guy in there and as you said he was you know he wa- he wasn't afraid of indulging in the dark arts for every now no. and again. so He was comfortable dealing with that sort of forward as well. So just purely for pedigree, as opposed to him, you know, for a particular task, I I would be looking, but I just would have my doubts, just based on his career today, that of his desire. I could be completely wrong, but that that would be why I consider it unlikely. You mention mentioning why maybe it that's why maybe that's why
2: people think it's unlikely. Yeah, we'll, what, what, we'll
0: what, wait and see. What's the longest you ever had out with leash and then came back? I was two years
2: playing with Parnells. And when I joined Parnells, I gave up Leash because it would be a little bit hypocritical me saying I'm moving to Dublin because I hate the commute yeah, yeah. and then commuting back to Leash. (laughs) 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 So uh, uh, the the consequence of me joining Parnells was having to give up playing with Leash for two years, which I, I was just sick of going down there. But anyways, when I came back... Club football's not that far off intercounty. Like, yeah. you've still got your eye in. Now, he's in New Zealand. Yeah. Now, we saw him breaking up some <laughs> some <laughs> fella in a video there uh, one year. But that's on, like, I mean, I was playing Dublin club football, which is a very good mm. standard, as you know, Conan. Like, I mean, that's a different ballgame to three years in New Zealand. It'll take him a while to get back right. But he absolutely will get back right. You're not gone. Mm. Yeah. Make sure Tommy Walsh has proved that. Like, I mean, when we talked with Eamon Fitzmaurice about Tommy Walsh, remember I was saying last year, Give him a run in the team. He needs to, he needs to be told. Give him five. You've getting five games and given him to you. I don't care how you yeah, play. Yeah. I want you to get better. He gave him twi- a game and yeah. then he's out. And it, poor Tommy's yeah. head was all over the place. Now look at him flourishing yeah. because he's getting a run of games. That's what players want. You have to when you're coming back like that. And remember Paul Galvin as well when he came back after missing out in the All Ireland year. You're under a lot of pressure. You know you need to be yeah. told you're part of my plans. And what I'm going to do for you is I'm going to give you enough games for you to show me that you're back right. But the problem is getting that, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to yeah. get that. I would have done it with Tommy Walsh and like, been proved right this year with Tommy yeah. Walsh. That's that's the way it is. Like I mean, he's been outstanding. Um, so a fantastic Carlo goal has been doing the rounds on Twitter. Now, Carlo are not shy about uh, propaganda and letting out, uh, you know, some... Footage of them doing good things. So, like, I mean, this was a brilliant goal. Can't be <coughs> taken away from them. Um, it looked planned. Now, you would obviously love to see a video of the game to see was this attempted at other times to be sure it was planned. It, it definitely looked planned. Break the ball down. Walker was running onto it. Um, he immediately transferred the ball by the foot because, like, I mean, Carlo had um, their whole half forward line brought into midfield. With this exactly in mind, the three on three left in there. And like, I mean, the amount of teams that are sitting ducks. We say this on the podcast all the time. Four kickouts go long. How many times have we said it? Because mm. you've got one on ones on the other side of the field and get the ball up there as soon as possible. And Carlo take a lot of criticism on this podcast, but did exactly that. Yeah, And he got a three on three. And that looked planned to me. Take him on. Draw, you know, draw the man. Beautiful goal, and it went from one side to the other with one-on-ones, and in Carlo games that's unusual. And it was like, how basic was that? But we're championing it, championing yeah. it because we don't see it enough. Mm. Isn't it bizarre? Like a team like Galway, who we were saying, bloody win possession midfield and get the ball down to Burke and Comer and Walsh. Yeah, you've got three on trees yeah. down there. Yeah, had you? Don't see that yeah. from them. They'll win a break and they might ship it off to the side or they might carry it. Carlo and they go longer exactly. kickouts
0: more than more than a lot of teams as well. Yeah, they but get, they don't transfer it. It
2: was all about Walker. The minute he won that break he had clear road to go ahead of him. But forget about yeah. that clear road. You kick that ball yeah. no one's catching that yeah. ball. Yeah. Like I mean yeah. we're seeing this constantly on the show. <laughs> yeah, You can't run as fast as the ball. Move it down get it down there. It was a brilliant goal. I do think while Poacher is much maligned, uh, Carlo are brilliant on, are very good on kickouts. They destroyed Leash on kickouts. Now they have an excellent midfield um, for kickouts they aggressively push up on kickouts I'd say they do a lot of work on it now they do drop an awful lot of bodies behind the ball but I do think Poacher um, tries things out mm. I think that while we theorise on tactics in the show here like I'd like to try anything we talk about here I think Poacher tries things oh, yeah. you know what I mean yeah. he talks he does walkthroughs <clears throat> and I think he's ahead of other coaches with stuff like that walkthroughs set plays the amount of managers even at inter-county level that don't entertain that stuff how many kickouts do you yeah. have in a game and you <laughs> yeah. don't work on what you might do if you win that yeah. kickout in midfield I
1: do think Carlo are working on stuff like that and I think they do deserve credit f- for that Yeah a lot of drills are just so far away from being game-related yeah. you know, or like mm. anything that would ever happen in a game but <clears> yeah that, that, that sort of really showed how small a pitch could actually look that was a kickout and a kick-pass and then it was just one man well, taking one on pass, all yeah. man. Do you know yeah. like, so it was three passes really and that was just like you were in for a goal. Like and you have these. So look at all the, t-
2: all the situations in a game when they've 13, 14 men in behind the 45, right? That's a nightmare scenario. You're not getting through that. How many kickouts would you have in a game? Like, I mean, you must have, would you have 50? You have 20 kickouts. 20. You have 20 kickouts. Yeah, so, you have 20, so you have 20 <laughs> set plays. Look at American football. So they've set plays all off their guaranteed start-offs. So how many different set plays they have they have hundreds of them bloody diagrams and everything of the different downs you've 20 set plays where you know the opposition is pushing right up on you and you've one on one situations the amount of work should be going into them lads is yeah. outrageous every weekend should be spent on those 20 set plays because the other the other scenarios in games where the the other team is dropped back to 45 the percentage of attacks that get scores off that is very low, you know, because you're getting turned over, you're kicking wides under pressure. And it's like, Jesus, lads.
0: The the pity is the the risk reward for for that, so, so... The, a lot of managers would go more conservative and they'd say well ok so while the possibility of something like that happening is on if we win the kick out unfortunately the possibility of losing possession is there if we, if we lose the kick out I so disagree. rather
2: there's uh, no risk because they had their half forward line all withdrawn into midfield so if they lose that okay. and louder pushing up on that so the worst case scenario is Carla lose that kick out their half forward line are close enough to yeah, actually okay. sprint okay. back in so if they're two midfielders and three half forwards they don't have the 15 because they're the three full forward lines they're losing that but that's definitely worth that risk for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: There's stats to show like when you kick it short you're more likely to concede um, than you are kicking it long. So whilst you're probably more likely to get possession initially by a little short kicker, you have the whole pitch and 15 players to get to score. Whereas you kick it long, you might lose some ball and you might concede from that, but you're also more likely to score from that as well.
2: Another thing thing I find hilarious with inter-county football and how copycat it all is, right? So from kickouts, now the fashion is to push up. It's vital. Absolutely vital we win this back. Right, we have to... So you're pushing up, you're leaving yourself vulnerable. But if your full back gets injured, right? And you've you've gone off retreating, you won't push up on that free, even if there's an injury, you let him take that short. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're no problem. Even even if there's a free around midfield, you won't be pushed up man on man for that free. Everybody back.
1: (laughs) Everybody back. So it's like like if you
2: want to get everybody back it makes more sense to have everybody back and forget about this, push it up. The pushing up is a complete contradiction to what you want to do. But because McGuinness did it in 2014, (laughs) there's no consistency. So you push up in a kick out, why are you not pressing up on every free kick in the hole? That's that's, that's also a possession and it's actually a possession further up the field. (laughs) They're they're actually dumb, aren't they? A lot of these managers.
1: (laughs) What McGuinness also did was use Paul Durkin. to find Michael Uh, Murphy and Neil Gallagher and Rory Kavanagh all the time. like Just long kickers. But
2: that it, it, But isn't it a federal They're all fans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now pushing up in a kick out's a fan Even though it doesn't Really make sense To what you're trying to <laughs> yeah. do
0: And your whole Counter-attack yeah. game Just going back To the goal as well Didn't you say that, that You thought it was pre-planned That your man took him on Did you hear the man Behind him in the stand You could just hear By the video He Try must it have shouted it. Go on about 40 times oh, he? <laughs> he said, Go on, go on, go on, go on <laughs> Then he got the goal But in fairness uh, After the tweet as well Somebody kind of Dissing Carlo Was saying like Oh I bet they dragged 15 players behind the ball Immediately after that uh, after that goal." And then somebody replied with a screenshot, and Carlo had seven players marking seven, uh, seven loud players immediately after the kick out. So just credit, credit to Carlo where it's due. Because oh no, Carlo do aggressively yeah, they, they, push they, yeah. up and
2: kick out again, which doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Then if they don't win the kick out, they're all running backwards, yeah, so they're yeah. giving away that possession. But they don't want to give away the yeah. first possession again. There's there's no logic <laughs> in my in my mind to that. Um, the goals are down in the league in 2019, especially in in Division One and Two it's down from 1.9 per game to 1.4 per game after five rounds so that's interesting in itself because the whole scaremongering about the hand pass rule that no, no, none of the managers wanted to br- be brought in and it was pretty much the managers and some players um, if the hand pass rule had been brought in and that went from 1.9 to 1.4 you can be sure who would be getting <laughs> yeah. the blame for that it was the hand pass so like what's their excuse now why are goal is down now that is purely coincidental. It's just coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Leagues are tighter as you. Yeah. Maybe leagues are I don't know. Whatever it is anyways. But it was just interesting that the whole hullabaloo was about but we won't see any goals. Yeah. We're only seeing one point four a game <laughs> yeah. now, like I mean, can I get can I get any worse yeah, that's than that? Too many, yes, it would have been zero point four if the ambassador. <laughs> Do you remember I was talking on Monday about Donegal and like uh, talking about this about the Donegal players going down very easily and I just find it really difficult to watch soccer anymore and all the analysis around uh, you know is it a penalty and Man United last night and a, a feckin' penalty because a man jumps in the air and it hits his arm like you can't actually jump without your arms going up it's impossibility if you want to get up as high as you can did we record two of us there I, was going, was, going the the going to, I was going to and I never <laughs> got I've actually out. had to try I had to actually do a walkthrough with connor <laughs> to actually prove <laughs> to him try and jump without but anyways that's how pathetic soccer has gone. So you have them diving all over the place. It's non-contact. If you put your arm on someone's shoulder to go down, if you touch your chest off their back, like a defender to just fall down and to jump around. And it's impossible to watch because it's just cheating. And I really don't want to see this come into the GEA because the GEA is evolving a little bit behind soccer. And it'd be terrible. And that's why this diving or going down way too easily or holding your face has to be called out at every single Um, opportunity and the players involved need to be shamed because now in soccer somebody can dive and cheat and it could it's be obvious and it's just not even analysed Mm. it's just accepted as part of the game that they're cheating so how can cheating just be allowed but anyways um, we definitely don't want it but there's some stats on the Armagh Donegal free count so Armagh conceded 28 frees against Donegal and Donegal conceded 12 (laughs) there's some contrast there now they're, they're absolutely Armagh are not Completely innocent in this, and they went they into a lot of old dirt and hard man stuff. Um, for whatever reason, maybe it was the conditions we talked about that on Monday. But twenty-eight freeze versus twelve. There is a combination of Arma hard men, and there's definitely a combination of Donegal, absolutely play, playing for freeze. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I agree. Yeah, I do you think like, Donegal were smarter, much smarter? Like you I don't compliment <laughs> the playing for freeze Conor. Don't. You just have you not heard of have no, just no, said? No, I mean like he's cuter.
0: He's
2: But uh, I was no, also no. We can't use <laughs> euphemisms like that. Like I mean, this is the, the, Donegal
1: cannot get kind the compliments for winning these frees <laughs> But I, I actually think the ref was very bad as well. And like referees, you see it a lot. Like. Sort of takes a dislike into some teams, then and like Armagh were very aggressive all over the pitch, but especially in around the round of forty-five. And they had Jamar Hall and Charlie Vernon coming back, so they were often surrounding people. And, and all the referee would just blow too long and you give it the other way. But the ref kept giving only goals free for that too. But like twenty-eight to twelve, that's not just oh, very runs. unusual. Yeah. yeah, very very unusual. Fair play
0: to Rory Gugan no, though; he didn't go blaming. He didn't go blaming the ref. He but accountability on the RMA players are smart enough something. well <laughs> well, he did yeah but said that it's something we have to look at in the way we handle the referee whereas Kieran McGinney in the past would have been maybe quick to kind of blame the referee but I do have sympathy that's the one thing like I watched uh, I was watching Mayo Galway at the same time on Saturday night and I thought Morris, some of the frees that Morris Teagan gave was questionable and it's just like these are the top referees in the top games and the difference in approach that all of mm-hmm. them take do you know what I mean so if you have if you have Morris Teagan one week and you have say David Goff the next week for example and they have a totally different style but it's really hard for the players to adapt to that because they get away with something one week and they won't get away with something next yeah. the problem with that is the lack of definition in the tackle but just I think there could be probably something better done more across the board to, to have the standards more like equal than they are currently
2: I keep hearing this with the a lot of people reply back to me on Twitter and go you can forget about all your rule changes and what really needs to be done is the tackle needs to be defined <clears throat> I'm not mean, sure the tackle is defined, no? Like, I mean... What,
0: what? Maybe it's not defined, but the, like but it's, it's so the ambiguous and so kind of open to interpretation by different referees. That, 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 that would be my experience anyway.
2: Yeah, well, maybe not the definition of it, but what's a f- you're saying what's a foul and what's not a foul. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty like, much, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you can't tackle... Like you're not even allowed to tackle the ball when it's in someone's hand are you? or you can slap you the ball out of someone's hand. Wrestle, you can't oh, you wrestle, can't wrestle it out with somebody's hand, yeah. You, always in my head is tackling the ball when it's in someone's hand is you're wasting your energy. Wait until they play it. Yeah. Like, I
0: mean, that's it and you can't be pawing at the man and you can't be tackling with two hands
2: I don't know. Maybe it it's a level it? of
0: physicality that you approach the player that you're trying to tackle, never mind how you're trying to remove the ball, but whether, yeah. like, how physical when you try and shoulder them or something like that. But they're definitely, well, from my experience anyway, and this is even, going back to club football, never mind watching county football, is that the different interpretation of the tackle and of fouling by referees and it can be frustrating to have to deal with somebody different like it's Rory the interpretation Grugan there of well it he's talking referees. about kind of having to adapt maybe we didn't adapt to a, like you hear this in rugby all the time but you know, you know, uh, yeah. and I know that's completely different but like you hear even players talking about having to adapt to referees certain styles and I don't think players should have to do that as often as maybe mm. they should See that's what
2: Rory Grugan says he says we looked at the free
0: count and there were two times more fa-
2: there were two times more fouls against us and it's up to us to probably be quicker and better at assessing what way the referee is refing the game. Because different referees have different interpretations of the tackle. Um, you know, he said this to the Irish News. So, like, I mean, you do... Obviously, when referees, referee games, they, you get a lowdown on what their pet hates are, and intercounty managers have all that, this lad doesn't like this, or we could do this, or whatever. And, uh, like, I mean... Assessing the way the referee is refereeing the game, it's uh, it's difficult to do that mid game, I suppose, mm. when you're concentrating on your own game to go. Well, this referee's letting away, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a bit more roughhouse. Maybe just naturally it just sinks in and you get carried away because lads are getting away with stuff without you haven't actually stop and go. This referee's letting away a lot of stuff. You just yeah. see a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah. going on and yeah, you yeah. go, I'm, I'm going to get involved <laughs> in that action, and then maybe you lose your head of it. The tackles difficult. I see some people looking for the Australian rules tackle. To come in, and I'd hate no, that. I, hate that, like, that I mean, that would be Jesus. terrible.
1: Defenders would love that, like, just because that's a lot of the, what the coaching is. Now, we talked about like we're not ta- coaching enough to tackle, like, the coaching is now just contact, get contact on. Do you know where yeah. it was in Aussie Rules? It was like, get contact on and fling them to the ground, yeah, <laughs> and then plays.
2: What, what do, obviously the confusion with the tackle, which I think a lot of people's problem is, is the three people surrounding someone hmm. and they're all tackling with two hands. Yeah. That's a foul. No matter what way you look yeah, at only
1: it. only one person's going to tackle And I runs, would
2: say yeah. if three lads get around a fella and won't let him out, surely there has to be some sort of obstruction as well. See, this is, I think, the, the, the undefined, because the game has changed. So if you're running after me, Connor or Conan, and you're trying to tackle me, you'll usually be slapping at my mm. arm, and that's not a foul, you know, and you might even get alternate the two hands as you're following me, and that's not a foul. Mm. And you might try and wait until I play it. So that was always clear back in the day what a foul was. Now nobody's really sure because there's two or three lads tackling someone. Mm. And is it over carrying? Or is yeah. it a free in? And you literally could throw, throw, a coin, ball, yeah. throw a coin up and see which way it lands. Yeah. So the game has changed into a lot of zonal and a lot of doubling up and a lot of trebling up. And now maybe that's the reason people don't really know what the, the defined tackle is. Because the game has completely changed. And I do hate like how many times do you see a fella he swar- he's caught by three lads and they might as well all join hands like, and say so you're not <laughs> yeah, getting yeah. out of this little <laughs> yeah. circle that has to be a foul yeah.
1: though on no? the player yeah, yeah. Have do over, there, drop they, the ball and try w- and
2: well that's what they're doing now they're yeah. falling down onto the ground and they're trying to throw She's it out between out their, out their, their legs mm. you
1: can see what's out there but you're so, just getting it out of you're it just mind. getting it out
2: or else you're over carrying so is that should that be legislated for in the rules like should you be allowed treble up should one person be allowed have to tackle someone and stop this doubling up and would that help the game you know the flow of a game would it help all these zonal teams these are other things that could be yeah, looked at I'm throwing yeah. them off the top of my head now and I don't know where this conversation yeah, would potentially no, go
1: because I think the better coaches then would probably just see that as like if there's three people around you there's two people free somewhere so try and get it moved before you, you get swarmed like on one hand you want to sort of invite the the players on team, commit more bodies and then move it on but yeah, I think I think refs absolutely love giving that free as well when there's three people around and they oh, like, yeah. oh, I'm mm-hmm. on top of this like, and you, know, you yeah. should be stronger in there. And here's a here's a free kick the other way, and because uh, the, the defenders are all shouting as well at the same yeah. time.
2: Yeah, it depends. Like, I mean, if you're if you're come back from a five point. Uh, you're five points behind. You have it back to two. Your team are on the up. You're bursting out of defence and you're swarmed. You're getting that yeah, free with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, whereas yeah. if you're the one up, yeah, yeah, you're getting yeah. that against you, and all the forwards <laughs> yeah. going, yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. it just completely depends on the momentum of the game. Like yeah. I mean, you can predict what way yeah. the referee's going to go, because they're human beings and they're getting caught up in the emotion and they're like, they deserve this yeah. one. Let's keep, yeah. let's keep this role yeah. going.
1: Yeah. There's Not a good. ref in Derry called Play On Sean. He's <laughs> from Stock Neil. Like, that's actually his Twitter handle as well. And like, just he never gives frees. And he just tells you, ah, it's your own fault be stronger in the tackle and stuff. And like, you're actually getting pulled out of you. Like, and he'll never give the free. Yeah. And you hate playing away games when he's there because the other team are just going to beat the shit out of you.
2: There's, all, there's always uh, character referees. Like, I mean, th- th- this is the next talking point. There's a referee shortage now. So Tipperary GA uh, were forced to cancel a recruitment course for new referees because of a lack of numbers. So only three people signed up to the module. <coughs> it's been run by the county board. Um, so the county board chairman, John Devan, said we just hadn't the numbers. It's an ongoing problem here and across the country, I imagine. The number of referees coming through or lack of them is always going to be a concern. And Claire and Limerick reported the refereeing numbers were close to crisis point. I remember reading that. And Leash and Kerry have the same issue. And I was talking there. It was on the Under Hurling podcast, was talking about this. So, I had an intermediate match last Sunday morning. Now, lads, it was feckin' freezing, and I was on the bench. So, I was can't even tell you how cold I was. And we were, it was, the match was starting at 12, and it was 5 to 12, and there was no ref, and the other team were still in the dressing room playing the game. We're not going <laughs> out in that until we have to. And next minute, you see the referee, and he comes running out, and he's just in the jersey, he just had a jersey on. And I went, This lad is one hardy individual. Mm, yeah, yeah. And just thinking, we're saying on the Hurling Podcast it's 20 euro per team so he's making 40 quid on a Sunday morning now in that cold mm. you wouldn't pay me 200 to go out <laughs> and do it honestly so it's a, it's a complete uh, devotion for these referees We're, they're much maligned they get no credit they could end up going there on that morning giving a couple of bad decisions and get abused yeah like people could personally abuse them. They're, this lad was in just a jersey. Like they deserve a lot more credit than they do because without them, there's obviously no games. Like nobody seems to want to do it. The numbers are down, and like I mean, it just is the. It's not a very glamorous job yeah. at all.
0: It's just been taken for granted completely, and like there's yeah. there's been like any amount of horror stories over the years of referees being chased off pitches and having to get garde. Well, that's the that's the worst side of, sort of it. Yeah. And when you see that sort of stuff, can you blame people for not getting involved? But that's it. It's you're reliant on. You're reliant on characters with a complete devotion to the like the the money that the money get they get out of it is is probably not enough to be you know no, nobody's going into refereeing for the money no. do you know what I mean they're no, going into not. it because they you know want to remain involved they're like they're, they're just devoted to the J and want to remain involved and want to give back and and hear about these referee shortages and think God well I'm in a position to do something like that so I will do something I could help that. out here do you know mm. that's it like it's even gas. you mentioned Leish and Kerry I know. um we got an we got an email out to the club there last week. There's refereeing courses, foundation level courses in Mayo next week, and every club in the county has been asked to provide at least one per uh, one representative because to deal with that they didn't say they're in crisis, but to deal with the large amount of games in Mayo as well. So I'd like imagine I I'd, I'd understand that if Leash Kerry, Clare, wherever that this is happening all over the country. So just need more of these. Unless you're going to further incentivize refs, you just need more of these characters that we're talking about. They're happy to give their time to do this sort.
2: Think. Yeah. I think it would be kind of a half enjoyable thing refereeing I'd love to see you refereeing <laughs> <The pirate laughs> the, I'd, I'd like head. to think you, oh, <laughs> I would love the power I would love the power but I, I would uh, I, you think you'd know from playing when there's trick acting I would think I would be respectful towards the players I think I could explain a decision quickly to them without you know yeah. diffuse a situation just be yourself and be normal like you are here on the podcast, and just be a normal GA fella, and just say, "Look, you know yourself what you're doing there." Like, I mean, you're not fooling me. Get up. Yeah. There are <laughs> some refs know.
0: that are great at those put downs as well. You might be ready to give out to them, and then they say something back to you, like, "Yeah, actually, you're right." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to
2: yeah, but that's it. But, anyways, listen, I, I don't know what the solution there is. If young people don't want to, they don't want to go to mass, and they don't want the referee <laughs> games. I don't know what we're going to do with the young people. It's all Xboxes nowadays. <laughs> Um, Connor, before we go up we have to give your Mayo correspondent mm-hmm. so um, how what is the situation with Mayo is it will we call it a collapse?
0: I was going to say thanks for the nice easy welcome back to the podcast I thought I was here for an easy ride (laughs) and here I have to talk about my beloved Mayo Uh, no I mean like I uh, I was trying not to get carried away with the first three games because I you know I knew it was early like Mayo had more done in January and February you know leading into January and February than they had done in previous seasons Tyrone were obviously not at it we played Roscommon in awful conditions beat Cavan at home nothing really getting carried away about Tyrone
2: performance was was outstanding and the running off the ball and all that and to be honest in the last two games, we saw none of that. No, like no, a, the, no. none of the style of play. It's almost like they've gone to some. They've forgotten everything they did well against Tyrone.
0: Yeah, well, I suppose like I I would make allowances for that against Galway because conditions were so terrible yeah, and true. Galway got a lot of men behind the ball and like our game management in the second half against Galway was absolutely brutal. Um, when Jason Doherty had a free to to get us level, actually, and then after that, I think you mentioned Cullen Boyle on the podcast on on Monday. Uh, we gave away three kickable frees, Galway just ran down the clock, any momentum that we had built up and it took us a bloody long time to build up that momentum in the second half, completely gone. I got two late points but it was way too late at that stage. So I'd make allowances for the the Galway game, I was more concerned about the non-performance in the Dublin game. I know Dublin were up for it, they're always up for it against Mayo and they needed that win but just to have carried in such kind of positivity and such momentum from Tyrone and Cavan and to fall so flat and to fall so flat within about 10 minutes and kind of some old kind of failings were showing up against uh, like about Mayo like since then like you were on but the running off the shoulder the angles and all that sort of stuff and then the last two games it's like right this ball into Andy Moran doesn't work what does work and like there was a kind of a lack of ideas besides that yeah. and apart from that at the other end of the pitch I thought like in the Dublin game obviously Rob Henley I think made four one-on-one saves I think we've been incredibly open through the middle now that would have been a failing under James Horn before I'm sure he's conscious of it but it's like all this encapsulated into it makes like we we are well it, it'll take a lot for us to be kind of involved in a relegation battle but we're technically not even safe now to, to be going from talking like that to like after the Toronto game, thinking oh, league final for the first time in so long, silverware. So I don't know. Listen again, I said I don't want, to, didn't want to get carried away at the start. I don't want to get carried away by the last two performances, how poor they've been. I just there are failings there. I just hope they're resolved, kind of in time for the summer.
2: Yeah, Fionn McDonough hasn't been as impressive in the in the last two games.
0: I think I don't mind that either. Like he's uh, as in he was very good the the first two games, but like it's like I, I'd be more worried if he was. Brilliant and brilliant and brilliant, and then yeah. maybe kind of had a dip come the summer. Like, the, the some encouraging signs for me about Fiona McDonough in that, like, he's missed a couple of chances and he's not afraid to take on the next one. He's, he's lost th- possession, he's won it back then a couple of minutes yeah. later. He's 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 kind of doing things that are showing character, you know. Yeah, so. he's
2: nearly too confident though with shooting. He Sometimes took on a couple of stupid ones there, dropped against, short, against, dropped Galway, short yeah. against Galway, and we we're like, it wasn't really on. But I think what his str- biggest strength is, you're right when that ball into Andy Moran and the running off him isn't there you have Aidan O'Shea you have Fionn McDonough they're dropping too deep and they're carrying <coughs> the ball forward and it's, there's just no real penetration like, yeah, I mean that's yeah. Mayo's game plan is that good early ball into Moran and running off him yeah. and then they look dynamic and exciting and when that's taken off them it, they're ordinary, ordinary
0: enough then really aren't they like, pretty I mean, much yeah and like and ordinary enough against I hate to say it because like I said like Galway have beaten us now seven times in a row and Galway have a style that. Galway just seem to have Mayo's number at the moment I hate to admit it
2: Because Galway take that early ball a- out of them with their sweepers yeah,
0: Absolutely and if you're like I suppose the, like Mayo have been showing up well against Dublin because Dublin like in recent years because Dublin wouldn't necessarily play like that but yeah. if you're nearly looking for a template to beat Mayo and you're not Dublin well then you're probably looking at Galway to be honest
2: Stick two sweepers in front of Moran Pretty and that much. initial ball that you're trying to get up the field from is gone and that's yeah. it yeah, yeah it is That's definitely it because you look who, who Mayo play best against and it's Dublin and Kerry who are not going to play that full time man, you know, in front yeah. of these lads. Yeah. And Doherty and Moore and they're able to buzz around and get ball, and then they're working off that. Then and they look like a brilliant team. Yeah, the Clare game two years ago, as well. I remember that down in Ennis? It was yeah,
1: amazing, just open game, just two teams going at it. Yeah, like like even Rockstars. against Kildare when yeah. Andy
2: Moore made the comeback up in McHale Park yeah, under yes. Rochford. Like they were outstanding that night playing everything through yeah. him. So, like, I mean, that's it. So maybe that's why Gal- Galway just turned it into a battle and then. You know, carrying the ball a lot, and then the difference is, Galway have the few strike forwards that Mayo don't have that can win the one-on-ones and or the two-on-ones and get nice scores. And that's how Galway beat Mayo. Uh, and that
0: was the thing. Like then, and, and much maligned as he was for Stephen Rochford last year, knew that Galway were going to come with that game plan and developed a game plan to kind of counter it. He didn't didn't allow Galway the space, and it turned into just one of the worst. Ga- on one of the best days of the year, one of the most anticipated games of the year, it turned into one of the worst games of the year. Yeah, I don't see James Horn going that way, and like I I, I hope it will work. But like uh, like the the downside of it is you could potentially see. Uh, Shane Wells, Damian Comer, and Ian Bark with far more space than they're used to, and they'll do damage. Yeah, Jesus, pessimistic, isn't it? Uh, well. <laughs> uh. Mayor are back, Mayor are gone. <laughs> Somewhere we're, between.
2: We're joining the Mayo roller coaster <laughs> here on this show. Right, okay, we'll back with Kieran Dealey.
0: Happy May. I don't really know Jim anymore. Me and him were like best friends when, when we played, you know. He's seen the light of Jesus, and uh, I'm still like fighting the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the dog days are over,
1: the dog days are done, the are coming,
2: so you. Can... Kieran Dealey is now in his fourth season in charge of the London Footballers. This year he managed them beat his own County Wexford, and he joins us on the line now. That was a big win for you and London, I suppose, Kieran.
3: Yeah, Colin. I suppose it was it was one that was much needed. Um, every year you all feel a little bit of pressure before you get the first win, and I remember the first year that I was involved, we had to play right throughout the league, all the way to the last league game, and we got the win against Waterford, and it just means when you get that first win, you can relax a little bit, and, and I suppose it kind of makes everything easier going to train in the next week and it, it, it's hard when, when you're, even if you're doing things well and you're playing well, if you're losing games, you have to continually look at it and analyse and see, OK, well, what, what do we need to change? What do we um, need to do better in? And that means, you know, it's great for us in terms of learning and development because you're challenging yourself all the time, but sometimes you're changing up the team, changing up the tactics when maybe you shouldn't be, maybe you don't need to be. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was. It was good, and and I suppose beating Wexford was a little bit sweeter for myself. Just you know, to to show the gang at home that um what we're doing is is okay over here. Pretty you know, some good work and everything. So there was a lot of people over from Wexford uh, for the game and the night before, um, and a lot of people texted me the day after and everything. So yeah, it was an enjoyable one.
2: I think most people are aware of the good work that you're doing over there with London now and like I mean I was reading you were saying for London getting two wins in the league is an amazing success like you're close mm-hmm. enough to that most years now like I mean you beat Wicklow last year you beat um, Wexford obviously this year you're Drew with Limerick last year, you lost to them by a point. You gave Leitrim a scare who were going up. Do you know what I mean? I think most people now see London as a solid Division 4 team. And even if you look at the league table this year, another couple of wins and you could be third, you know, before you finish up. So, like, I mean, it's it's pretty tight there.
3: Yeah, it is. And, and I mean, when I when I came in a few years ago, the, the biggest thing I wanted to do was to make sure that we compete in every game. And we kind of set out a stall and said that, well, we need to get within... Four or five, six points of every single team that we play, and the first year we did that. Aside from when we played Mayo in, in championship, and we lost by thirteen points. Um, so it has changed because, like, I came in under Paul Coggins uh, in twenty fifteen as the coach, and I remember going out and and I think we beat I think we beat Wicklow, and then you know the next day you, you go out and you get beaten by Longford by fifteen points, and so very very inconsistent. So, yeah. but we've tried to yeah we we've, we've tried to be more consistent and I suppose uh, for me personally I want to make this team a serious inter-county team that people look at it and go well actually London are a good team and and we're going to have to take them seriously and and I think we've we're getting towards that and and like we're, we're we're suffering for that a little bit because now no team is complacent when they play against London you know that it's different. They're they're taking us seriously and they're prepared and I presume they're watching our clips and stuff like that in preparation for the games. Um but look it's 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 a hard slog but I think the big thing is try and compete and if you can get a few wins all the better. And for us like to get two wins or three wins in the league, well that then would be a huge thing for us. And I, I think we're we're getting close to that. I, I feel like you know, we're we're kind of pushing that wheel or that rock up a up a hill, and we're nearly getting to the top where there's a little bit of a tipping point. And at that point, I think we can go on and win. You know, three and four games in the league then per season, and and to me, that's when we're a real a proper intercounty setup then.
2: Yeah, so this year you are travelling over to Ireland to play teams. Um last year you had all your home games at home because the year before you had to travel away. So like it's been a bit of a, a bit of a shake up um with the league.
3: Yeah, it's sure it look it's it's tough. I mean we don't mind really going over to Ireland to play the games because it actually gives us an opportunity to spend a bit of time with the players and like we travel over early on Saturday morning um, from Heathrow and then we get back late on Sunday night. And it just means that on the Saturday we've a chance to have a few meetings and look at our own tactics, look at opposition clips and stuff like that. And like for, for us with the London team, we don't get as much access to the players, I think, you know, as the Irish team. So it means that we get access to them, we get to spend more time with them and even the lads together get to spend a bit more time together as well. Uh, because, you know, you have to remember that the turnover in London is huge. Like we had, of our squad of 30, we probably had about 15 or 16 new players this year coming into it. And we have no Burn Cup game or pre-season tournament. So like Limerick was, you know, it's 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 really, you're trying to kind of bed down a team in the weeks leading up to the Limerick game, our first league game. So to actually get the lads together is is good in that. Um, and I think really for, for us, the other really big challenge for us aside from the player turnover is just the lack of facilities you know we're, we're we train on a rugby 4g pitch and a, a soccer 4g and you're trying to practice kickouts and you know you're talking about positioning and tactics and and everything like that spatial awareness and you're on a little tight 4g pitch um, so they're they're the real big challenges involved more so than traveling over and back i don't really think that's much of a problem
2: yeah, I saw a picture you retweeted from London GEA and it was of a training session, and you're being a little bit creative. You had pushed a soccer goals in front of a rugby goals to try and make a makeshift makeshift GA goals. I thought that I thought that that was a good one.
3: Yeah, it looks terrible, doesn't it? I mean, geez, my my brothers keep telling me to stop tweeting, you know, to get off Twitter and everything like that, and just like see they were cornerbacks. They just said keep your head down, just do your work, and. You know, the, the, it's all about winning games, and sure, I, I was a wing forward and centre forward, so I, you know, I like to put my head up a little bit over the parafist. But um, yeah, look, sure, the, the the facilities is a huge thing because it's crazy when you think about it. You know, a, a Gaelic football team in the in the intercounty national league trying to prepare for games um on a rugby pitch yeah. you know with soccer goals in front of a rugby goal. and do you um, not get sorry but, sir, Kieran, do you not get into
2: rice slip yeah. then the the you, you the old pitch in rice Slip is that or or the, the the back pitch that would have the GA goals they don't let you in there
3: no i mean we, the rice slip since it's been redeveloped i mean the the pitch in rice slip is is fantastic it's a lovely pitch yeah. but now there's just a small training area at the bottom um which is, is floodlit but you're talking about you know, forty meters, uh, forty meters by about seventy meters or something right. like that. So it's it's very small. Um, but yeah, I won't. I won't say too much about facilities because I probably got in a good bit of trouble with the county board <laughs> last year about um, complaining. <laughs> there's, there's a there's a kind of a love hate relationship there between us, so we'll 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 keep it, we'll keep it um, at well, at that for the on, moment. On, well,
2: on a more positive note, from them then, are they're actively trying to set up a centre of excellence and a pitch? The money's there, it's just they can't find a suitable location. Is that is that right?
3: Yeah, and in fairness to them, um, like John Lacey's the chairman, Mark Ocha, one of our players, is the secretary and treasurer, and the the, the funds are there to to set up a centre of excellence. But just to get a greenfield site in London is a huge challenge, you yeah. know. And and obviously as well, they're looking at probably two pitches with one of them floodlit, and that can be a problem with planning permission as well, you know, in terms of uh, being close to airports and everything. So. You know, it's I know the difficulty of that. I I'd just love to see well what, you know, could we set up something in the interim of, of setting up a pitch with or using the Club pitches with um setting up uh, proper floodlights and a bit more drainage in the pitches and everything. Um you yeah. know, listen, there there's plenty of stories of famous ex intercounty players arriving over to London and coming out training and going, Well, I'm not gonna train on that tonight <laughs> <laughs> and then you lose them. Um but, you know, we we've We've had our fair share of of lads as well. Like Mugsy was with us a couple of years ago, and and like he was he was a brilliant kind of ambassador for you know Tyrone and and for the GA that he just came in and got on with, and our lads loved him. You know his character and just how seriously he took it, and and he kind of helped bond the team. You know, so yeah. it's always good to get in a few lads like that as well.
2: Yeah, definitely. So you said you had 15 new players this year. Like, I mean, this must be absolutely hectic time then from October until whatever, January. You're going to it. You've got a transfer market that you have to deal with that other managers don't have to deal with. You do, though. Oh,
3: God, yeah. It it can be funny because, you know, obviously lads have to get registered and they have to play with their club over here. Um, I would say that things have settled down more the longer I've been in the position. Like, I kind of feel like... The, the it's kind of set who we have. Like we have a core group of Liam Gavigan and Gotcha, and you know like the Butlers and, and yeah, the London kind of boys home-grown. yeah the London boys yeah and a few Irish lads who are here here long term. But I mean it's crazy what you have to go through really because you're 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 going out and you're playing a kind of an A V B game if you have enough players, and you really have no idea what you're going to get with a fella, and um, and you can spend two months then with. Dedicated coaching and and you know kind of integrating him into the team, but of course you've never you've never managed to see him playing their county games, so it can be like we're what five league games in games into the league now, and I'm still getting to know my players in terms of right he can do a job for you, he maybe needs more time, he can maybe play in that position or or another, so it's 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 unique I suppose in the in the J world where. You're building a team continually every year, again and again and again, um, and that's why we, we probably have put a lot of importance on trying to develop the London-born chaps because yeah. you're hoping that they will stick with the team over a number of years and be, you know invest into it and it's their own county and they're from London, you know. So people call us the exiles in the media, and I I hate that term because I think well they're not exiles. Like myself and lots of others came to London for you know, a bit of an adventure and your your professional career and stuff. And there are other people then born and bred in London. So you don't really feel like you're an exile at all, really.
2: Yeah, true. That's kind of an old fashioned way of um, describing yeah. it. Because you have improved the, the London based players. And like, I mean, that's really important from your own management point of view to know at least a seven of your team or eight of your team and then have the yeah. rest up in the air like I mean you've improved it from two I think in your first year up to six or seven um, starters now like I mean I'm sure even for your own peace of mind in October November who have I got next year that's the, the smart thing to do
3: yeah and it's worked well that way I mean I didn't start it you know Noel Dunning did years ago and Paul Coggins before me and I've continued it on and it was like maybe two players at the beginning up to four and you know now it's up to like six or seven in the starting team um, and you know we we fill it out then with other younger lads uh, from bred in, in London as well so it, it helps I, I feel like it helps the team dynamic there's a different kind of feel to it um, because I think the London lads are different they're from the city and you know they have a little bit of a, a swagger about them and everything um, and I like that I, I like that kind of atmosphere in, around the, the group but it does help just in terms of knowing who you have because every year in October I'm ringing around and you're kind of you're nearly pleading for lads to come out to the intercounty team and and uh, commit into it and it, it shouldn't be like that you know in in Ireland when the counties it was it's your dream to go and play for your county like it was my dream to play for Wexford and luckily I did a little bit and and you know you don't have anybody kind of cajoling you into doing it so that's a difficult thing but look we, we are trying to change it and it takes time. It's not going to be a quick fix at all. But I'd like to think that we're becoming more settled every year that we go by.
2: Yeah. Come here. Your day job is in sports science at the QPR Academy. So, like, I mean, you're in around professional environments um, and, you know, you see it on a daily basis. Where are GEA teams in terms of the level they need to be at you know like I mean I don't mean strength and conditioning and fitness because I think GA teams are pretty close on that but there's not enough time in the week for the recovery uh, not enough time to work on game plans you know where where are they losing out on this on this kind of time management in the small kind of amount of time they have during the week
3: yeah I think I think there's still a great divide between GA players and, and professional footballers. And the, the biggest difference, obviously, is just access to the players. Yeah. And Because GA is an amateur organisation and the players have to work and they have to spend their time at different things, that divide will never be closed, in, in my opinion. And I, I, like, as you say, the, the GA players are... They're fit, they're strong, um, they're fast, and everything like that. But I would say, like anybody who thinks that the Premier League players are not, you know, faster and uh, fitter and stronger than DJ players, they are. You know, we see we see the results. Even we look at results in the academy and everything. Like these guys, you have to remember are um, training every single day over a prolonged period, um, and also like genetics and heritage comes into it. Like there's a lot of we have. Um, Huge mixed mixed ethnicity down QPR Academy, and these young chaps are very very fast, very very powerful, um, and obviously they're working on their touch and their 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 technique every day. So I I think that divide will never be closed unless uh, players become professional in, in the J, which probably won't happen anyway in the next years. I think the closest you're probably getting are you know if you're looking at the DCU lads and UCD and UCC and you've got these young Gaelic players who are in around um, serious intercounty setups like Dublin and Mayo and Kerry and also they don't have their day job, they're, they're students in the university and yeah. if they're doing a you know business degree or an arts degree or something like that, you know that they're spending plenty of time in the gym every day and recovery and everything like that. Um, but I think, if I suppose if I was to think about the differences i think as you mentioned recovery i think that the soccer players are huge on recovery spend an awful lot of time on it um which i think the ga players could be doing more of and doing it better um another difference then is just and and this probably comes from the coaches and the managers as well is the focus on technique you know so their technical ability and like when when I look at QPR training, for instance, they'll spend, you know, a third of the training or sometimes even half of the training on unopposed practice and it's just continual repetition of short passing, long passing, medium distance and, and trapping the ball, controlling the ball, working on their skills, um, so we call it core skills and, and things like that and, and seventy five passing we call it. And I I've tried and implemented that in with the London Gaelic team because just that focus on the technique and the technical skills of the game is maybe not there in Gaelic as much, you know. Yeah. And if you if you look at like back in our time or uh, a little bit before, that that great Kerry team in the in the mid nineties, like a lot of the reason why they were winning games in All Ireland is is because they had the best skills, you know, the Daryl Shea and Tomás Shea and and the Gooch and Declan Sullivan, and, um, Paul Galvin. their are kick passing and their catching and their weaving in and out between players and everything. which is better than other, other players, other teams. So I, I think the, f- the focus in professional soccer on that kind of far outweighs the, the, the Gaelic focus. And, and that's probably where a lot of teams fall down now. They're fit, fast, um, highly committed, never like that. But they probably just need, from a young age, to be focusing more on on skills of game rather than anything else.
2: Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. You talk about the technique. Just a just a small thing. Like I, I could never pass off my left hand. Say if I was running yeah. down the field and someone was to my right, I would still awkwardly try to pass that with my right hand, like and just kind of throw it yeah. across. And not one yeah, manager, absolutely. not one manager, ever identified this and say, you, "You look, come back to me now when you've practiced on your left," because that's you know that's not going away. Nobody said it to me. When I went from wing back into, into the forwards, I decided I was going nowhere without a left foot. I decided that myself. Nobody told me to do that. I was actually discouraged from using my left because at the start, this was by an inter-county manager, because at the start I wasn't great on it, but I, was, I made a, a, a conscious effort that I was going to practice it in training as much as possible. And I was told to stop. <laughs> I was told to stop. So like, I'm trying to improve myself. And like you know, because I, know. I was giving the ball away, or or maybe the passes weren't going to hand, or whatever. Like I mean, it's it. I I do think that, it, but it's not. I don't really see that as a fault of managers. They don't have the time in the week to do this kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, I agree. And and I mean, we're, the GA is probably heading in direction of having a lot of professional people working within the organisation. So the players are. It's obviously an amateur ethos, and the players aren't getting paid and, and everything like that. But they're. Like if you look now, there are full-time sports scientists, S and C coaches, um, you know, in Dublin, in Kerry, in Tyrone, and then in the provinces and everything. So it's probably heading in that direction, and and also sorry, the, the games and development managers, like the coaches on the ground. So it's really up to them, I think, from a young age to be developing the skills. So I mean, I worked as a GPO in, in Dublin GA from twenty eleven. To sorry, 2008 to 2011, and we were going into clubs and into schools, and we were working on the kids' techniques and skills. And that's what you need throughout the country. Like to me, it's no, it's no great surprise that uh, that Dublin are absolutely dominating the All Earn series because I mean we were all in every single club and school in Dublin, teaching these kids the skills of the game continually every day. Yeah. Of course, they've got better. And if you look at the Dublin team. Like, they're, they're probably the biggest team, the fastest, um, the most powerful, the most tactically astute, with the best manager in the game. But also, like, they have the best skills yeah. in the game as well. And I think that's why they're getting through them. And that's why, for instance, you know, the, the likes of Kerry and Mayo are the only two teams to ever really properly put it up to. Them. So I'd like to kind of see that the focus is put on that. And if you look at... A horrendous video clip that was up on Twitter during the week, um, from from Carol Kane showed showed that college's football up in Ulster, and like fifteen men behind the ball, and the other team then just keeping the ball outside that. Like, people need to remember that these are underage kids and yeah. underage teams, and the competitions don't matter. They really, really don't matter. You know, they're a bit of fun, and but it, the focus should be on development and enjoyment. So. Like the senior and the county manager, by the time the player gets to him, yeah, it's difficult, you know, to spend the time and everything. Uh, but at underage, the coaches should be working on all these things. And I, I think as well, and you probably see it in the professional soccer world as well, that the likes of the, like Sam Allardyce and David Moyes and all those guys, they they're kind of getting left behind in the game because yeah. they're good. They're good at getting a team together and keeping it tight and you know, getting a defensive unit, working together. But they're not so good at actually coaching individuals and improving players. And that's where Pochettino and Guardiola and all these, they coach. You can see clips of them on the training pitch every day. They actually coach and improve players. Um, And I think, in, in the GA world, I think you've got to, a good number of senior county managers out there now who are actually coaches you know it's, it's, like I listened to the loud manager last day um, and I know obviously the leash manager and the, the Dublin manager and everything and they're, they're coaches ultimately and, and they're looking to improve players
2: Yeah I think that's important and like I mean I do understand the managers did, like they don't have time probably for the skills and stuff but what the manager is responsible <laughs> for is the game plan and you mentioned there that you, you mix it up a little bit uh, from game to game and like, I mean, I from what I can see with, with GA teams, and you can identify it very early in the year, what's their game plan? And they just mm-hmm. have one. So they could be playing a weaker team and they'll play the same game plan. They could be playing a stronger team and they play the same game plan. And to me, if you are compare that to soccer, that's light years behind soccer, who, you know, will mix up formations and mix up game plans. Again, it's probably a time issue. You can't, you don't have time to work on these things.
3: Yeah, I, I think... But, but I suppose you have to remember that uh, these, like, what are these intercounty players put giving up all their time for? Like, they're giving up a huge amount of time every week. Like, you, you saw in the RSI report, it's something like 32 or 34 hours per week that they're giving over to this. So, I mean, I personally, I think that these teams do have time. You know, with the, with the onset of huddle and uh, video analysis and everything like that, like, our lads are looking at their own clips, looking at opposition clips, and at other teams, they can be looking at it on their, their smartphone or their iPad and making clips themselves. So they they have time to look at stuff. I think I, it's, it's probably strange that some of the teams have one way of playing and they just stick to that. Um, because like every day is a different day and, and the opposition that you're playing against. I mean, for instance, when we played Leitrim at the weekend and we're missing... Unfortunately, a couple of our best attackers um, through injury and, and concussion and stuff, then there are times where we're just going to look to keep the ball and, and as well just take the sting out of the Leitrim crowd at the beginning of the game. Um, and we didn't let them score for the first 23 minutes, you know, and we went two points up just by keeping the ball and probing at them. But then if we're going to play, you know, a team at home who were expected to pick up points or are hoping to pick up points, which of course we're going to leave like extra men up and we're going to spray the ball out wide more and look inside and so you're going to change your tactics every day Yeah, and it, like the, in terms of the professional soccer teams as you say I suppose in that aspect of, of in the comparison they are light years ahead you know in terms of they'll respond to the opposition team playing 442 with a diamond or 442 wide or 352 or whatever 433 and they'll they'll change their set up and their tactic mid game or mid half and the players have ownership over that a lot of the times they know how to react themselves so i suppose essentially you're trying to develop kind of very tactical flexible players in terms of that they can change things and, and also obviously the manager and the coaches can change as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. Come here quickly before I let you go, you've set up uh, an elite sport coaching academy. So it's a closed <laughs> group for coaches who want to discuss, meet, present, debate and share innovative coaching, coaching concepts um, and issues to do with de- development, performance, athletes, players and teams. So you really want Jim Gavin just to join this group and tell everyone what he's doing, is that what you're...
3: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's, that's what we all need. <laughs> it's like what you say all the time that why don't people just copy Jim Gavin, you know, what he's been, just copy Dublin and, and that's all you have to do. Um, but yeah, so I, I set up this, I was probably about a year ago, and I, I think there's a huge thirst out there amongst people, amongst coaches, GA coaches for knowledge, and they want to learn, they want to develop. And I think the GA uh, coach development programs are great, you know, the foundation, the World War Two. but then like what happens after that? And, this this was just a, a group I set up on Facebook a year ago, and now it's gone to I think thirteen hundred members in terms of just uh, a community of of uh, practitioners I would call it, and people sharing ideas and putting up stuff. So then I said, okay, well, you know, recently now I said that I'll, I'll set up a, a closed uh, website group, and and people go on to steelsportsscience dot com and sign up to it. And really, what what I'm trying to do is share. A little bit of the knowledge and experience that I've got over um, in professional soccer and then in inter-county management and, you know, university and stuff like that and with session plans and, and different games um, and also training programs and, and some advice and, and resources as regards GPS and things like that um, and the sport science, sport sciences, I, I think probably... The GA has a massive thirst for all this information, but people maybe don't um, have the experience of knowledge of how to use GPS on a, on a day-to-day basis, for instance, or, you know, how to set up different practices. So it's kind of, I suppose, trying to fill that little gap for people.
2: Yeah, okay, great stuff. So give us that, the web, your website again there that the coaches need to go onto.
3: Yeah, so it's dleysportscience.com, and that's I think people will probably find it through Twitter as well, uh, is my Twitter handle so people will will, um, will see you know a nice bit of information up on that I think
2: yeah brilliant stuff come here thanks very much Kieron, for taking the call and best of luck for the rest of the year thanks Colum. great stuff from Kieron there that's always time for this week we'll be back on we'll be back next Thursday with a preview show there won't be a show on Monday so we'll talk to you then good luck
3: I'm not finished yet it took me a long time to get here
0: both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're, both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys
1: But these fellas will get such a f-ing shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their dances for 10 years.
2: The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.